0: Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's show was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri in Canberra and on Wurundjeri country for Radio 3CR in Nam Melbourne, and broadcast nationally through the Community Radio Network. I'm Beth Horridge. A new report titled The Extinction Crisis in Australia's Cities and Towns has just been released. It shows that there is a lot of threatened plants and animals in Australian urban areas and just how much forest habitat in and on the edge of our towns and cities is destroyed for development under Australia's weak national environment laws. Later in the show, Waltraud Picks tells the story of Friends of Mount Madura in Canberra. Jess Abrahams from the Australian Conservation Society is with me online. Hi Jess, please tell us about
1: the threatened species in towns and cities. We released a new report this week and it showed for the first time just how much habitat has been destroyed for Australia's threatened species in urban areas. Now one thing we do know is that Australians really love nature and in fact this comes out time and time again in many different surveys and cultural shapes and sizes from the names of our footy teams, you know, the wallabies, the eagles, the two, you know, the, the animals that are on our notes and coins. We love nature, but we often think of nature as being out there in wilderness areas or national parks or the outback or the bush. What few Australians realise is how much important habitat actually exists in and around our cities and towns and how many threatened species actually can be found there. What we were able to show using some pre-existing data and some new analysis was that a quarter of Australia's threatened plants and nearly half, 46% of Australia's threatened animals, can actually be found in the 99 Australian cities and towns that are big enough to have more than 10,000 people in them. Now, this is a tiny percentage of the Australian landmass I think just 0.2% of Australia is covered with these highly urbanised areas, and yet a quarter of our threatened plants and nearly half of our threatened animals also occur here. Now, in some ways it's not surprising that people and, I guess, nature both favour the same ideal habitats, places that are close to the coast, well-watered, have fertile soils and, um, you know, cool or or moderated temperatures so all of these make the places that people and nature in a sense want to live there's always been this conflict but what we've seen is that despite our national environment laws coming into place in the year 2000 and these laws were meant to protect the habitat of australia's most threatened species first 17 years they were in place between 2000 to 2017 More than 20,000 hectares of habitat for these threatened species was destroyed. Now, this is an area bigger than 11,000 MCG football fields. Now, there's no surprise that Australia is facing an extinction crisis when we simply cannot protect the habitat that these plants and animals need to survive. Let's talk about the current
0: review of the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, the EPBC
1: Act. Sure. It's quite a mouthful. The EPBC Act was introduced actually under John Howard's government back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And at the time, it was actually quite a watershed. It was the first time the federal government assumed powers that had previously been used to stop the damming of the Franklin or protect the Great Barrier Reef from oil drilling. The first time under that law, the federal government said, we have a role in protecting matters of national environment significance. Things like threatened species or world heritage areas, they are really outstanding aspects of the national environment. So that was a really important law that came into play. And Robert Hill, who was the environment minister at the time, I've dug out a quote, and he literally acknowledged that our threatened species are disappearing because their habitat is being destroyed. And he said words to the effect of, this law is designed to protect that habitat. Fast forward nearly 20 years and these laws are under review. Built into the legislation is a 10 year statutory review. That means every 10 years, the laws undergo a thorough review and it's an independent review. They were reviewed a decade ago and it was a great review, (laughs) surprise, of all the fantastic recommendations, virtually none were implemented. And again, we're back in the situation. There's been a independent review. It's actually still underway by Graham Samuels, and he has looked very deeply into this issue, and he's made some okay recommendations. He has said, uh, he's clearly acknowledged the laws are failing. Some of his key recommendations are much stronger national standards are required to protect these matters of national environment significance, and importantly, an independent, tough cop on the beat, I think were his words, an independent regulator to ensure enforcement and compliance is needed. Otherwise, it's no use having these laws if they're not being implemented. This review is currently, an interim review is currently in the Environment Minister's hands, but unfortunately, Environment Minister Susan Lee has already ruled out probably the best recommendation in this report, and that is for an independent regulator, a tough cop on the beat. And that's very disappointing, and instead the government wants to hand over these federal approval powers, this check and balance, they want to hand over their approvals back to state governments who in many instances are in fact the proponent for a lot of these developments and who benefit financially from these developments going ahead. And if we look at state governments, nearly a quarter of their revenue is actually generated from stamp duty on land sales and these are sales of what used to be basically urban habitat, urban bushland that is being you know, bulldozed and turned into urban sprawl. So these laws have literally failed species that live in these forested areas on the edge of our cities and towns, particularly in southeast Queensland. Species like the koala, which we would all know and love, and we know it's in trouble. But other species like the Australasian bittern, a really unique and secretive stocky bird that lives in long grasses along creeks and wetlands and it's even known to sway in the breeze with the grass in order to, <laughs> to camouflage itself. Another rare and elusive species, the red goshawk, a really magnificent raptor that hunts, in fact, on other quite large birds. It's found across northern Australia, but in areas where it uh, lives on urban fringe, its habitat is being destroyed at a rapid knot of rates. And even birds that are well-known, like the Regent honeyeater, this is a critically endangered, high-profile flagship species there could be as few as 250 of these birds left in the wild. Thousands of hectares of habitat for this species have still been destroyed, even though these laws uh, were meant to be doing the job of protecting the forests it needs to survive. Velvet morning, yawning As the sun the same Distant echo. People often ask me, this is a terrible situation, but what can I do? Well, there's a lot that we can do as individuals. I think in the very first instance, in our own backyards or in the um, urban creeks and bushland or train tracks, we're seeing some really inspiring action by community groups who are getting together with their neighbours and literally restoring habitat, planting native plants, flowering shrubs that butterflies or birds or insects we'll use as habitat and we can literally bring wildlife back to our suburban areas and in many cases we've seen some fantastic stories really hopeful inspiring stories of how community efforts to restore habitat has made a real difference that's the first thing we can do of course we can also be advocates and with these environment laws under review our politicians, our elected representatives, um, really do need to hear from Australians like you and I, who love our wildlife, who are really proud of you know our unique natural environment but are really concerned about its plight, to contact your MP, no matter which side of politics they're on, and tell them that environment laws need to be strengthened, not weakened, and that this interim review is in fact a chance to grapple with the extinction crisis Australia is facing, not weaken our environment laws to somehow fast-track, unsustainable development, which is unfortunately the kind of rhetoric we're hearing from the government at the moment. But there's also, you know, how we build our houses also really impacts what happens to urban bushland. And uh, the style of economic growth or of urban development that we're seeing is really car-dependent, large houses far away from capital cities, on the fringe... And that sort of very unsustainable urban sprawl is also a big part of the problem. And thankfully, we're seeing some really fantastic research and practice done by professors and even property developers who are seeing nature not as a, um, something that needs to be offset or a hindrance or a constraint, but in fact, an opportunity and an onset and something that they can actually bring into the um, housing that they are providing. And um, we've seen some fantastic concepts come through from RMIT University in Victoria known as Biodiversity Sensitive Urban Design. So, you know, in the past decade or two, we've learned to build houses that are much more energy efficient. We've learned to design our streets and our um, waterways and our stormwater systems in a way that's much more sensitive to um, water Basically, you know, water sensitive urban design. And I think the next frontier is biodiversity sensitive urban design. And it's literally building our, our homes and our streets um, in a way that actually doesn't push nature out, but actually invites nature in. And I've seen some really simple but clever designs, like tilting pavements up with grassy walkways underneath so endangered legless lizards can, um, you know, still have connectivity of habitat or glass bricks in houses that are open on one side that allow birds literally to nest in the wall of your house and the family living on the house on the other side can literally watch, you know, birds (laughs) using their walls as a home. So these are little simple things, but this design movement is is really gaining momentum and it's a really exciting and inspiring future that we can create. It really is a matter of choice.
0: Jess Abrahams from the Australian Conservation Foundation talking about their recent report, The Extinction Crisis in Australia's Cities and Towns. You're listening to Earth Matters. I'm Beck Horridge. The ACF report mentions the work of Friends of Mount Madura. I talked to Wild Trout, one of the founders. We're here in Hackett, and behind
2: us is Mount Madura. And here is one of the founders of Friends of Mount Madura. Oh, hello. My name is Waltraud Pix. I am have been one of the founders together with other people, including my husband, Jochen Zeil. In, we started Friends of Mount Matura, a local park hair group working in the Mount Matura Nature Reserve in 2003. And I was attracted to this area because in Germany where I come from we rarely have bush on the doorstep and so over the years I was walking in the nature reserve and I realized there were some problems but there were many many attractive things for me to see animals, local animals, animals which I haven't seen before and which I found very very special. So that's all how it started for me, and where I decided to work together with a group to look after the biodiversity in this unique piece, bit of bush, close to, Hake, to an urban suburb. Galas, these are the galas. They are definitely increasing in numbers. Coming from Germany, it was all new. I haven't seen an Echidna before. For me, it was very special. I was not sure about my fellow residents here in Hackett. And so I started, and I saw that there are some problems. uh, So I started to do some unorganized uh, walks, which I announced on the local Hackett shopping center. Is anyone interested to come for a walk? And so I just realised that there are a few more people here who have an interest in what happens on Mount Matura and in the nature reserve. And then it was in winter uh, 2003 when we started and say, okay, let's go together and let's have a friends group looking helping the land manager, Parks and Conservation Service, to look after the mountain. We were all eager to get our hands on the ground, doing some work. And then we had even a ranger coming along to show us certain methods to control weeds. And basically we had our first working party in October, 2003. From there, we just learned and more people were joining in and some people left, that's how it is. And uh, But we, as a group, uh, we uh, gathered enormous experience, knowledge, saw things which we probably wouldn't have seen if we have not started to work and to look after the mountain and look after the environment and the animals and uh, the plants. And my special interest when I started was, I was coming around, I was reading reports and uh, articles about grassy woodland. Now, Mount Matura, as uh, you hear from from the name, Mount Matura Nature Reserve, it's basically an old volcano, a big mountain. It has steep slopes, and most of uh, it is covered by open forest. But the fringes, the lower slopes, they have this very special grassy woodland. And these special grassy woodlands usually would be very rich in species, particularly in ground cover species. Those little white flowers, the wallenbergias, the bluebells and lilies and all kinds of things. And so that was my interest because I was thinking of these meadows which I know from Germany and I saw here something which was also colorful but as it turned out it was Patterson's curse. It was, we had a lot of weeds here and so one of the idea was if we are battling and tackling this and hacking and massacring these weeds, we will give these little native flowers a good chance to spread and to thrive and to do their things like cross-pollinating sex between plants. So that was one thing which really interested me and I started to learn about the plants also about the weeds and how to control them. Uh, And I started to see uh, the richness, particularly in a special year that was uh, shortly after we founded Friends of Mount Matura. And when I started to identify plants and species and we uh, produced our first species for Mount Matura, that was in 2005. The hardest thing for me was to learn to identify local grasses. Over the years, we did a huge amount of work. We helped also with uh, mapping rapid warrants. The rabbits were a big problem. And they are still a problem. You can't get rid of them, but you can reduce numbers. We did a huge amount of weed control. In our peak years, we spent over six thousand of hours per year to help nature conservation in the local nature reserve. And then over the past years I just realized that it's not so much the weeds which are a problem, they are just a result of something, what happens there, which is the real problem and the real problem is the overgrazing. So estimates over the past year were that the local Eastern Grey kangaroo population is close to eight times of what is sustainable. And they are not eating only the grasses, they are eating also the rush lilies and the wallenbergias and the bulbine lilies and all kinds of other things and no matter how much weed control they are doing the grassy woodlands turn into either a weedy woodland or a bare woodland so over the past years i have must say i have lost my enthusiasm and i i'm not longer convinced that we can achieve to conserve the biodiversity or to improve the biodiversity in the nature reserve if this management of the overgrazing is not done. We were very excited because we saw one of the endangered species, uh, endangered under federal government legislation, which is the Golden Moss on the northeast slope of uh, where we are working. Actually, we have a big project, uh, which we call the FAIR, which is a uh, nature reserve, uh, grassy woodland, just behind a residential, relatively new res- residential estate, medium density. And we were very excited when we saw the first time uh, golden sun moth, which is an uh, endangered species under the ACT legislation and federal legislation. Now, this golden sun moth relies, uh, the larvas rely on eating grass. Now, they have a big competitor. The big competitor is the eastern grey kangaroo. Now, we have made photographs of showing that there is no grass left because it's all eaten, and there is no new recruitment, no new grass growing. They can't do their um sexual pollination and grow seeds and then spread the grasses and so that affects the golden sun moths they are disappearing from the area because the Larvas have nothing to eat. They are living in the uh, uh, root zone of these grass species. What we experience at the moment, but that uh, started a while ago, is uh, a building boom on Mount Matura, and these are cuppy houses. Now, you may think about cuppy houses with a few sticks put together, but no, I'm talking about two-story structures With a thatched roof, and the thatched roof consists of native grass. The few little grass which is left in the nature reserve is ripped out and used as a thatch for a roof. Uh, And there are these structures which are really, I mean, sophisticated. Uh, They are sometimes decorated. They are sometimes furnished. Uh, there is a, there might be a chair inside and a little table and even some, uh, decoration, some native wildflowers and whatnot. So this is, and sometimes they're really sophisticated. Uh, there are platforms screwed into the trees. The tree branches are cut off, uh, to build a nice ladder up to the copy house and so on. Now, this is a real problem. Uh, I think most of the time there are young people involved to build these structures. Um, and my suggestion and my proposal and my idea to deal with that, because we don't want this destruction, is to have this. Nature playgrounds, these adventure playgrounds in suburban areas where the kids can go and do these fantastic things, but not by destroying the nature, uh, the, the natural environment, but to do it in organized places where they can do all these bike jumps copy houses, tree houses, build structures, have a play with water, and so on. So that is something which I was proposing quite of often because I think it is necessary for the kids to go out and do their things. That was Valtrad
0: Picks from Friends of Mount Madura Landcare Group. After the interview, I wandered around on Mount Madura I saw all the extra trails, and I also saw an echidna drinking at a tiny creek. That weekend, I went to the Friends of Mount Madura working group. People were weeding by a drainage line.
3: I'm Jenny. I've worked in this land care group for quite a few years, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I'd encourage lots of people to do land care because you meet lots of interesting people and you... Are outdoors under trees in the in the in the fresh air and socially distancing <laughs> appropriately. This drain it's actually draining out of a water tank, which is like a reservoir. So it's good good clean water. The birds drink from it. Children play in it, but it was overrun with blackberry and some kind of ivy and a few other sort of creepers out of people's backyards because people dump things in the bush, cuttings and. Um, We've planted all of that, so this was bare along there or just inhabited by creepers that covered everything else and in it had reeds and things that the frogs were in but it was also entwined with blackberry and other creepers so we have actually cleaned it out but added a whole extra layer of the native things that should be there and it's increased the diversity of the birds that drink here and the frogs. Yeah. Tell me what you're doing. Weedy. Is
0: this a weed? That's a weed. The Friends of Mount Madura Working Party. The music on today is a bit of a mix from Groom Epos' track, Light Sprinkle from its Scale of Trails CD released in 2014. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam Melbourne, Wurundjeri country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. Here's the rest of Light Sprinkle by Richard Plume.